Welcome to Outwit, Outplay, Outpod, the podcast where fire takes represent your life. I'm Isaac. I'm Kayla. And we're here to talk about Survivor Season 44, Episode 3, Sneaky Little Snake. The tribe has spoken, but we have not. Kayla, what is your fire take from this week's episode? So this week, I'm doing the thing I said I wouldn't do last week, which is read too much into the edit. And my fire take is that Josh makes it to final three simply because who is this man? He has not gotten a lick of screen time, no background information. We see his like baby oil abs in every scene, yet we know nothing about Josh, the man, the myth, the legend. So... I could be reading too much into it, but I think the producers may be saving his minutes for later in the scene when all his fruits come to bear. I think you're right about that. I think it's funny how the edit can be conspicuous in the sense that you're getting a lot of a player, which is usually a sign that they might be in trouble, or they can be conspicuous in the sense that like, why are they leaving this person alone? What are they saving him for? And Josh, Josh is a great competitor. Obviously, he's built. Built. <laughs> and the fact that he's not been more of a presence on the show. Yeah, I agree. Um, my fire take is that Jeff needs to calm it down a little bit with the facial expression reading at Tribal. <laughs> this has been a pattern of his. Someone smiles or looks angry or sad or something. And he comments on it and he breaks the dialogue and he's like, Hey, you know, Helen, you had a big reaction to that. I guess not Helen, she's gone. Sarah, you had a big, yeah, like, what did that make you feel? And to me, it's just like you're, it's, it it creates too much editorializing at Tribal. And also, like, should people, when they're not facing one another, have to feel like they're policing their facial expressions in order to disguise their intentions? Mm. If I'm in a one-on-one conversation with you, then obviously I'm thinking about like... Right, how's this being received? Yeah, right. But they're all facing him. And so like if you're sitting in the front row, I don't think that you would have the instinct of needing to disguise your facial expression from your tribe mates, but Jeff makes a point of broadcasting them to everyone. What what point do you think these facial expressions are going to become part of the strategy? Are we planting facial expressions to make leading questions from Jeff Probst? I really, I hadn't thought about that. I think you're at a higher and even more meta level than where I was going. But at the point where survivors start to manipulate Jeff with their facial expressions at Tribal, I don't know if this is a TV show anymore. I think it's just like a really hardcore strategy game that, you know, will go over a lot of people's heads. But but yeah, we could get there. We could get there. So what you're saying is Jeff and Carson took the same body language reading class. Good point. I bet they had a very similar curriculum when it comes to reading people because Jeff does a lot and he reads into people a lot. And it shows. Yep. All right, Kayla, why don't we kick things off today a little differently? Let's start with a recap. Ground us in the episode. What happened in this hour of Survivor? Should I also ask the fans? Fans, let us know how you feel about this recap. There, we've broke breaking the fourth wall. Love Is it. Is that it? <laughs> The fourth wall has been broken, much like Jeff breaks the fourth wall at Tribal when he polices people's facial expressions. But please continue. Saving me always, Isaac. (laughs) After voting out Helen at Tribal, the Tika tribe returns to camp where everyone tries to reassure Sarah she's not buying it. At Ratu, Kane sings O Canada and embraces his D&D roots. We find out Brandon is both every man and a renaissance man during a successful fishing trip. Jamie finds an idol. Psych gets homemade by Matthew, who found the real idol two days prior. At Soka, Franny and Matt plan a road trip while the rest of the tribe plots against them. 
Danny plants a fake idol with a real note, which Matt discovers, but the whole tribe finds out about, thanks to Danny. At the challenge, Ratchu wins first, Tika gets second, and Soka is going to tribal after Clara sits out yet again. Chaos ensues back at Soka's camp. All eyes are on Claire. Claire and Franny tried to stir up trouble and put the attention back on Josh with Heidi as the swing boat. At Tribal, Claire plays her shot in the dark, which is unsuccessful. Her tribe unanimously votes her out, and Jeff snuffs her torch. A lot happened this episode. There were idols, there were fake idols, homemade idols, planted idols. A lot, a lot happened. So we're going to dig into it one by one. So that takes me to Danny's big move because he plants the key and returns the fake idol to the bird cage. Matt finds it and then he outs Matt in front of Josh. And the reason I connected back to the bullseye and Matt and Franny, I actually don't know that this was a great move because Danny had a really good thing going with a strong four who identified a two on the outs. And he just throws this other variable in and all of a sudden it isn't so cut and dry. You know, he sort of has this option now to go with Matt. There's a target on Matt's back, but at the same time, people might want to work with him. Josh, for example, was going to be an easy vote against Matt or Franny. And now Josh is like, oh, like Matt is my, you know, I'm glad I know that Matt has the idol. Now I can work with him. So even though Danny, like he looks really smart in playing this move and it is a smart move, he was in pole position already, and I think mm. he just causes a little more chaos, and he, you know, ultimately it leads to Matt and Franny not being targeted, which at the beginning of this episode, it was like a no-brainer. I thought for a minute Danny was going home. Like, I wow. thought he big-brained himself out of Survivor. <laughs> I thought this was going to ensue where he has this real idol that no, still nobody knows about, but because... Matt has the fake idol. He was going to get Franny, obviously already had her. They were going to get Claire and this was going to become kind of like a group community idol all for once so that they would have the vote swung and actually effectively put the vote back on Josh and or Danny. And I thought they had identified Danny as the true ringleader, especially because per the edit, he was running around at camp outing Matt's idol like so much was going on and I think he flew a little bit too close to the sun I think the reason he was able to avoid tribal this time was because Claire really just didn't have a leg to stand on she had no argument they come back from these challenges damp and dirty and we all see the survivor tiktoks where they're like it takes days for your little clothes to dry off so yep. i'm sure they were sick of watching claire over there a little too dry yeah i think we both have a lot of respect for danny we love the firefighters as we've mentioned previously but yeah you you said it big brain he almost big brained himself out of survivor i think he just tried to do a little bit too much this mm -hmm. episode and he needs to be at this stage of survivor i think you want to be a minor character absolutely you don't want to be driving the plot at this point let that happen a little bit closer to or even post-merge post-merge we saw this with marianne and marianne won because she realized that she was on 10 and was like i actually need to become a minor character and proceeded to do that for the rest of the season really reined it in um folks can have thoughts their thoughts about gabler but gabler went um undercover and got him his million dollar check is all i'm saying the other character who i would say has a similar narrative 
this story and maybe will encounter similar risks is Matthew. Matthew also has his little fake idol shenanigans this episode. Matthew did this for the love of the game. I think the same spirit that caused him to fall off that slippery rock is what caused him to do this. Matthew had a little too much free time on the island and said, how can we get a little mixy today? Um, I do think his innovation is what's going to carry him if he makes it forward in the game because tearing little pieces off the tribal flag, finding the beads from last time. Also, well done to the producers, having little bits of tribal beads that we're all now primed to understand as an idol, just laying around camp, like beautifully done to the PA assistant in charge of that. Um, And I think he's gotten himself into a little bit of a pickle because he's planted the fake idol on someone that he actually might want to work with and that definitely wants to work with him. And I think if she finds out that he fake idled her, that's going to be a big betrayal that he won't be able to recover from. Right. And and we're getting this slightly backwards cr- chronologically, which I think kind of reflects a slightly confusing storytelling mechanism that is employed here, which is the flashback. The first thing we see this episode as viewers is Jamie weirdly discovering an idol by the well. I think... When have we ever seen the idol at the well? (laughs) Yeah, regular viewers of Survivor, I think, will will have already found that a little bit suspicious. But then we get the explanatory flashback indicating that off screen, Matthew has found an idol, right? Mm -hmm. He has created a fake idol. He has hidden the fake idol with the real note. A lot, a lot happens off screen and you get it in sort of this flashbacky, color drained like (laughs) earlier though this happened and i I sort of took me out of it like even as someone who intently watches survivor i was like this is confusing a lot of time very fast (laughs) yeah exactly so i wanted to talk here about a little sort of like a ethic of survivor issue Hmm. we've seen you know in in matthew's case he created a fake idol in another case i think for the first time ever the producers provided a fake idol Obviously, that also comes with the note associated with the real idol. Yay or nay, is it fair? Is it fair for a player to be able to manipulate another player with tools they are given by the producer where they can just package it with a note? Because I don't think it would raise my suspicions if if I find an idol with the note. The typed note on inkjet printer. Right, (laughs) because the typed note is survivors saying this is real. And I'm just, I'm not sure. I could be swayed, but I'm not sure that it feels within the spirit of the game for players to be able to use producer-provided props to manipulate their fellow contestants. I'm pro this. I think no one is going to suspect it this season. I'm interested to see if they keep it and how it plays out in the future because once you know, you know. So will the players, will this now add another element of is my idol fake? Is it not? Am I using this as a motivation to try and figure out who has the real idol Mm -hmm. and cause and make me go into conversations in a way that I might not? Raising more suspicion just because I need to know if my idol is real or fake. So I think down the line, I could see this being an interesting plot mechanism. But what I think is way more exciting is having all the tools. Like, don't give it to them in a pretty package, but I think have the beads, have the ribbon, 
lay a coin out here or there and make them do the work because that's where you really see what the survivors are made of. So you're okay with them supplying the crafts, just not the finished product. Not the finished product. Do a little work. I agree. Maybe throw a hot glue gun out there or something. <laughs> I, I like to see the innovation that comes with people cobbling together whatever they can to create something, but handing them like a silver medallion that the producers have made. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. You, there's no creativity there. And that was the early days where people would be forging for the right rocks, like little bits and pieces and be like, this looks close enough for me and would see how far it could take them. And so I think survivors are primed that that is a possibility. But I do think you're right. The note really tips you over the edge. And also the silver dollar. I don't know. That is such a unnatural material. And I was like, maybe this is the producers trying to signify to the castaways that this something's off here. Like this is not a natural element that you would find in the game. Right. But the silver medallion, I have a problem with one. It doesn't read to me as an idol, but at the <laughs> same time, it's not a material that you could manipulate if you're on a desert island with no tools. Mm -hmm. So it's not only that it's a fake idol the producers have provided. It's also something where even if it occurred to me, could this be a fake idol? Even if I asked myself the question, I would say, no, there's no way in heck that any of my tribe mates could manufacture this on infinity. Jamie didn't find this with the worms. No, exactly. <laughs> there's just no way. Um, and this reminds me of a little analogy that I'd like to run by you Great. From, from my personal life. Uh, when I was in college, I took a class called Game Theory and Democracy. And it was about voting systems. And one of the things that we did was play little games to create like collective action problems and then to analyze them. That sounds great. Yeah, it was <laughs> one of the best classes. It was by like a professor who's like an astrophysicist and he was just doing this as like a little hobby. It was really cool. What happened one time is that I was, to borrow a survivorism, on the wrong side of the numbers. Ugh. The game was that you had to pass around money and on the honor system, you could invest your money on someone else's turn, but that empowered them to take all the winnings for themselves. But it was in your interest to form little coalitions so you had more opportunity to invest your money on other people's turns. I and see. Honor the system by which you would do it for them, they would do it for you. But I was in a minority group that wasn't getting as much return on their investment. So in between classes where we were playing this game, I came up with a little, a little fiction that I was going to say in the class. <laughs> Isaac, the storyteller. Yeah. So in the class, I said that because I was doing really poorly in the game, our professor, to make it more interesting, decided to give me a little advantage. If you gave me money to invest on your turn, you would get twice as much return on your investment. So my idea was so basically my fiction was that the professor wanted You hustled these kids! I hustled these kids. By the way, <laughs> I told this lie in front of the professor and did not give, give him advanced warning. Did the professor miss a beat? He didn't flinch. Love. Yeah, exactly. So I bring this up because it was an instance in which a contestant projected and pretended to speak with the authoritative voice of the game itself, articulating the rules of the game as opposed to playing within the game. And to me, that's analogous to in Survivor when the producers provide a fake idol, give you a note even that you can that you can give with the fake idol. Mm. And I think reasonable people could disagree over whether that is game breaking or within the spirit of the game, it's just a creative expression, a creative strategy you've landed on to manipulate your fellow islanders. I think this could go either way. I think right now I'm with you, not in the spirit of the game. 
Let me see how I feel. Survivor 45. Does this cause the chaos that I want to see in my episodes? I think you're right. Now that the fake idol produced, made by producers is out of the bag, people will have to look for it. I don't think we'll see it next season because I don't believe next season's contestants will have seen this episode. Mm-hmm. This, but, but two seasons from now, it'll be an established convention. And do you think that this is a move that people are going to respect? Like, do you think the survivors are having the same ethics of survivor mm. questions? And when it comes to be jury time, like, will Matthew, will Danny, are they getting the points for manipulating something that they were given? If I were a jury member, I would definitely award a lot more points to someone who crafted an idol themselves and went that extra step to manipulate their fellow contestants, because that demonstrates real ingenuity. I think I would award points based on how well I felt they used the tools provided to them. Mm. So I would step out of the, is this right for survivor mode a little bit? And I would be like, I have a contestant I'm evaluating in front of me. Do I feel like they maximize the opportunities that they got in the game? I want to talk about Jamie and the rise of the sunshine character in Survivor. So I actually think Jamie and a few other folks, Survivor 41's winner, which Isaac will remind me of, Erica. Yes. Erica. Exactly. She's the one who used the hourglass to rewrite history. That Mm -hmm. was her claim to fame. I think they're, Marianne especially, they're all really benefiting from kind of like the Ted Lasso effect. How much do we want a sunny dispositioned, positive survivor character that we can really root for and is out here wearing their heart on their sleeve? I love it. I love it. And you're 100% right to call it the Ted Lasso effect because people love to cheer on. And I think it's been especially true through the pandemic and just general world chaos and, you know, and bad shit happening. The fact that you can root for a Marianne when you're watching Survivor, it's like the people want it. And I think the competitive, and not just the viewer, but I think the people who are playing alongside them. I think the jury want it. And they always, there's always little asides where, I forgot who said it this time, but they were like, Jamie is really great for camp morale. And I think we forget that there are 24 hours on this island where there is just sand. And if you don't have that person that is going to lift people up, it's going to be a... It's going to be a tricky couple weeks for you and your tribe. A hundred percent. And anyone else you would put in that category this season who are who are sunshine players? Oh, I, I would, love this. I would throw out. I would throw out Yam Yam as. And and by the way, Yam Yam Jam Yam. Am I? I'm getting the subtitles say one thing and the players say another. So I'm I'm truly lost at this point. I'm also lost. Okay. Jeff okay. and these changed it this week. Last week they were full on Jam Jam, and I feel like this week they were saying Yam Yam. It's it's whatever no, mood Jeff finds himself on the day. But he's clear. He's clearly he's clearly another sunshine character and and someone who like they're having a good t- time at camp. In this episode, they're poking fun at him for snoring. Helen is hilarious i mean not sorry not helen carolyn is hilarious like she is she's poking fun at him at yam yam for the snoring in a way that it's like it's going just up to the line of i'm mad at you but the result of being in that space is just it's hilarious and the tribe is bonding and haha and of course sarah is not feeling the humor in her bones like the rest of her tribe mates are but people are having a good time, and you're you're dead right that the thing we can't grasp as viewers of Survivor is just how much time these people spend together. It's insane. It's got to be one of the hardest things about it. 
So as far as the challenge go, as regular listeners know, not huge challenge people up in here. Kayla and Isaac, we're not, we're not big fans. The, I think one thing to note is that, yes, in fact, we were right. They were clearly doing a setup beat last time with Claire yes. and Jeff getting all hot and bothered about Claire sitting out of a challenge. She then sits out for a third time. Jeff again calls it out. I mean, this was almost my fire take. Jeff, just just chill out with the... Let it go. Chill out with the, the editorializing about who sits out at, at the challenge. Like... I get the sense that Jeff is someone who really hates participation trophies. Like, he strikes me as that guy in the older generation who's like, back in my day, they didn't just hand out medals for showing up. You had to win. You had to beat the other team. And it's just, it's, it's, it's very much not my vibe. I appreciate that some listeners of Survivor may, may, may be fans of that take. But to me, you do the best thing by your tribe. And also, I think if I was on Survivor, if I'm evaluating the challenge and not thinking there's a clear value add... It's very rare that you penalize someone for sitting out. It's much more frequent that you penalize someone for volunteering, showing up, and then underperforming. And failing. You get those people who volunteer for the puzzles time after time, but cannot actually do the puzzles. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Those are the people who end up feeling the burn at Tribal. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think her sitting out was that big of a deal. Also, I think... If you had let this play out, this could have perhaps been some really brilliant strategy. You get to the merge, you are healthy, you don't have any injuries, you are not hopefully as tired and perhaps even a little sick as your other castmates, and you're ready to go into those individual challenges, like, geared up and ready to go. So I think self-preservation didn't win out this round, but generally I don't think it's a bad strategy. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I don't want to get on a whole anti-Jeff tirade. I love the guy. He he also gave we some. We love Jeff. <laughs> he also he also gave some love to an upcoming golf tournament next month, the Masters, and a CBS promo that like was all aspects of my personality. I had Jeff Probst <laughs> telling me about a golf tournament, and it was just like love, love it. Having said that, at Tribal, he sort of follows up on this theme again with Claire later on, and he creates this binary that I've heard him create before, where he talks about. The problem of this stage of Survivor is that you want to advantage yourself, but the best way to advantage yourself is to collectively make the tribe strong and to win challenges so you're not at risk. And I've just always found that binary a little too simplistic and also extremely unfair to people who show up to the game and are not Olympians or don't have josh's six pack i think about this all the time especially because i think the worst thing you can be on survivor is short and i'm like now this is a podcast but listeners i am short i feel personally victimized when i see these people like even this challenge they had carolyn up there and i was like i would not even be able to reach the little spiral thing so you're just limited and in the individual challenges they account for that and give you little bars at different heights and different step stools but in the general team challenges like you can't account for that and it shows some teams are just stacked where others are not and the puzzles attempt to offset it but it doesn't always work right and there are a lot of factors from height to age to ability to fitness to all of it that go into whether or not you are going to be someone who leans into this whole keep the tribe strong philosophy Jeff sort of stating it almost as like a principle of the show has just never sat quite right with me. Agree. And also, 
do you think that when people are doing the challenges, they are in it for the love of the game? Or do you think, like, is this a tick on their survivor bucket list, some of them? Or do you think, hey, I'm going to be a challenge master? Like, is that a real strategy that you think modern day folks playing are going into? Or have they seen the challenge master really backfire because as soon as we get a little bit before the merge they're like let's take out the big guys and the challenge masters before the individual immunity is up for grabs yeah i'm with that i i think that the individual strength has gone from being one of the most important factors that survivors think about to one of the least and i'm really happy about that transition it's great back in the day you had your, you know, your Jameses, your Colbys, your Ozzies, the challenge masters who just reeled off win after win. And the reality was that, first of all, those three in particular, their strat- strategic game was really crap. It Pretty was, much nil. Yeah, it, was, it just wasn't there. <laughs> but also it just exposed the fact that like people are very aware that one way to get to the end of, to, of Survivor is to consistently win individual immunities. No one runs the table. Even Ozzy, like no one actually wins every individual immunity. A couple people have come close. As soon as you lose one, you've established yourself as such a threat that you're gone. And people are like, this is our chance to get them out. So are we pre-merge? Is it still early? I don't think that needs to, yes. I don't think that needs to be at the forefront of people's mind. Is it going to catch up with Matthew later on, though, if he makes the merge, that he's this challenge master who has built all of these things in his backyard? Carson, I think, is keeping it a little bit, his preparation a little bit more secret, secret. And I don't mm-hmm. think he's someone people will immediately peg as like a challenge master who wins everything. But yeah, I totally agree. I think strength is as much a liability as it is an asset at this stage of Survivor or any other. Also, JT's season where he won every challenge. So boring to watch. I was tired. Very fair. Yeah, we're not tuning in for these challenges. So if the main character of a season is a prolific challenge winner, it's probably, in my estimation, not a very strong season. Agree. Final thought on the challenge, and we won't harp on it any longer. Jeff has a new catchphrase that I've been noticing. I haven't noticed. So he na- he says, he when he identifies the rewards and the immunities associated with the challenge, he said, this get first place gets this big pile of fruit. Second place gets this <laughs> slightly smaller pile of fruit. Third place, otherwise known as... And the then losers. this episode, right. And then he gives it to the crowd, the losers. And the fact that he thinks he's earned, like to me, this is, I think that this is a relatively new slogan. This is also what got me on my high horse about how Jeff probably doesn't like participation <laughs> stories because he really likes to lean into people being losers. Like he gets some sort of visceral pleasure out of describing third place teams as losers. That is just like, Loki kind of hilarious to me, very Jeff. I think it's very much his brand, but like not quite the way that I would tend to lay out the stakes of a competition. Do you think this is a reaction to the fact that word on the street is Jeff Gate hated that Gabler won? Hated it. I thought that you were going to say if this this was a reaction to me not getting participation trophies when I participated in Junior League sports. Um that's an interesting... I had not heard that. Is that, is that something happening That's out the there? word on the, the street. Word is, uh, the word on the street is Jeff was not happy about the outcome of 43. I believe it because there was just no through line. There was no narrative that felt like you were 
that it was culminating in a satisfying way with Gabler winning. I think we're at odds, actually. I think you were we'll a Gabler We'll have a whole fan. bonus episode on Al Gabler. Yeah, support us on Patreon, <laughs> and, and you can unlock a secret episode about, about Gabler. All right, turning to Soka, who had to decide who was going to go home at Tribal. Some factions are breaking out and not in the way we might think. So they had that core four alliance going in, but it didn't end up shaking out in that way. And the person I want to talk about is Heidi. I was a little bit shocked when she had the aside to the camera that said her number one was actually Danny. And I don't know if it's the edit or lack of screen time, or I thought Heidi was gonna kind of keep to herself, not really play her cards until it got a little bit later, and then start making those really core alliances. Cause from the little time she has gone, we can see Heidi's a really strategic player. She made that fire last episode, which was wildly impressive and not reading into the edit, but maybe some foreshadowing, who's to say? And she rebuked the women's alliance, which I feel like comes up in every recent season of Survivor, where there's always some chatter, how serious it is, I think varies, about having an all-women's alliance, taking it to the top, and she immediately was like, Franny Claire is not what's going to get me to the top. Like, I'm going to align myself with Danny all the way. And I just wonder what she sees in them, in him, because we haven't seen much of their relationship yet. Yeah, that, that, that remark did take me by surprise, too. We haven't seen, like, a Danny, Heidi, Kumbaya moment, mm-hmm. I think, or, or anything that suggests that they're tight. But I guess they are, and it put her in an interesting situation where I think at that moment, she felt like the momentum and the numbers were going to be more pointed towards Franny's target, which was Josh. Clearly that changed, but she was feeling like despite where the numbers were going, Danny is my ride or die and I've got to stick with him. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Um, I do think that this is one where, you know, and I, I don't blame Survivor for this. They have to make a compelling TV show. But the edit was so strongly leading us to believe that it was Josh or Claire, Josh or Claire. And looking back with all the information we have now, the fact that it was a unanimous vote... I don't like maybe there was a hot minute where Josh was seriously was on Josh. the shop. Yeah, I, I just don't. And, and but I sort of wonder why, because Danny, I wouldn't describe Danny as forceful. I agree. I think he's assertive, but he hasn't he hasn't tipped over to sort of the domineering like I want to call the shot side quite yet. And so I don't think that he sort of forced the issue, at least that we saw, that got people over the line to voting out Claire. Um, But whatever happened, happened. There must have been some off-camera meeting of minds, whether it was keeping the tribe strong for challenges or something else entirely, we probably will never know. But we get to tribal, pretty uneventful tribal. Claire, there's this interesting (laughs) moment where Claire turns to Heidi and is like, are you still doing what you said you were doing? Which... I'm not sure what Heidi saying yes meant. I don't think Heidi, Heidi, sorry, Heidi. Heidi seems someone who would lie to your face. Like, I don't think asking Heidi in this forum was doing anything at all. Heidi said a whole lot of nothing. She said, I think, which questions, I'm not even sure what you're talking about in this moment. Right. Whatever Claire got from that answer, she ends up playing her shot in the dark, which was the correct call. She was, it was. clearly, she knew she was on the chopping block. 
not safe. To date, we still have only seen one successful shot in the dark that happened earlier this season. Um, one in six, I, like I sort of wonder about the probability. Is that high or it's low? It's very low. It's very low. It's very low, um, which I'm comfortable with. I don't think you want to give people too powerful a lifeline because if you are... First of all, if you're giving up your vote, you are giving up your only voice in the game. So it is it is a big thing to have to sacrifice. But at the same time, like one in six, man, it feels like one in six doesn't come around very often. It sure doesn't. And But if it was more, it would also not be aptly named. Like shot in the dark? Yeah. Pretty unlikely. Yeah. Low-key, I think my biggest takeaway from this tribal, besides the gargoyles, which are frightening, (laughs) and Jeff tries to make a very tortured metaphor about how gargoyles are like tribal council because they're hunching their shoulders and they look like they're on high alert. And isn't that like everyone when they come into tribal council? And I was just like, you know, not quite following you there. I think you're reaching. Yeah, he's reaching a little bit. Still, by the way, no explanation of suits of armor, chessboard, or gargoyles. We are continuing to be on medieval branding watch we should keep a count if this was a video (laughs) podcast we'd have a score of weeks gone by without mention of the medieval theme i right now i'm predicting (laughs) we will never get an explanation i'm sure we could do some research and find find an explanation maybe maybe we'll have to do that at some point but they should really put it in the show if they want to defend some of the aesthetic and design choices that they're making because they're odd um what i was going to say about (laughs) before i went on my gargoyle rant was Matt and Franny. I mean, the fact that they survived a tribal and low-key, they weren't really ever even a threat. Not even mentioned. This is what I mean when I say that Danny's decision to sort of let Matt have the fake idol and then broadcast it, I think it just introduced a variable that made Matt and Franny a little safer. It just disrupted this easy narrative of four against two that they had rolling and there was just sort of enough noise in the system for them to be sort of lost in people's sights. And, and then everyone got behind voting out Claire. Absolutely. Yeah. I do have a fun question for you. A fun question. Let's hear it. You're dropped into Survivor. Okay. At the end of this episode. Okay. What tribe do you join? Ooh, I love this question. Okay. So to this point, who's been to Tribal? Um, everyone's been to tribal. Everyone's been to tribal. Everyone's been to tribal. Um, one tribe, I think Tika is lowest on numbers simply because of Bruce being evacuated and tribal council happening for them. Um, you know, okay. My fun answer would be Tika (laughs) because (laughs) (laughs) Carolyn and Yam Yam are the most interesting personalities. I think I would never be bored. I think I would get along with Carson. I think he sort of is probably similar to what my brand would be on Survivor <laughs> personally. Um, at the same time, Ratu looks like they're having a, fun, a lot of fun with Kane doing his little D&D sword stuff and, you know, singing Oh Canada. I think that I would maybe go... I think I would go Ratu. I think it's a combination of, like, fun people, but also I don't feel like the biggest strategic threats are in Ratu, with maybe the exception of Matthew. So, yeah, I think I go Ratu, but but right back at you. What, 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 what tribe would you sign up for? I'm joining Ratu simply because... Yeah, I, if I'm actually gunning for the million dollars, I cannot join Tika at this moment. Like, I can't. We all know. We all know. I can't join Soka because unfortunately the Franny Matt banter would start to make my head pound. I couldn't hack it. 
So that leaves Ratu, where I have enough people. It's the biggest tribe. I have enough people to kind of mingle with and understand where I slide in. And I think the most lone rangers are in Ratu. Like, Lauren haven't gotten a lot of her. Kane was on the wrong side of the vote that first time. This new partnership between Jamie and Matthew is existing but fresh. So I think there's just a lot of places to get in where you can fit in. Yeah, there's wiggle room in Ratu. I agree. All right, well, why don't we wrap things up with our survivors to watch. Kayla, whose stock was rising for you this week? Who's inching ever closer to that sole survivor title? Brandon's inching. He fed the tribe. He fed the tribe. And I think the provider is actually a narrative, an old survivor narrative, that remains strong. Like, people want to keep the person who is keeping them fed until we get pretty close to the end where they're like i'll just starve it out so i think brandon is rising i think i'll give the matt franny partnership i think they're rising i think they're in a brand new position with claire gone and could potentially get um get josh yeah i agree with that i think i think tika is rising as a whole they were sort of like characterized as the heavy underdog in challenges and then they end up pulling out the win they're vibing i mean they're they really, are vibing they're really <laughs> they're having a good time i think that if they somehow get to the merge with numbers they would actually like stick together and you'd be looking you at you think them. sarah would stick with them oh sorry you're right you're 100 right sarah is <laughs> the, sarah is the first to jump ship but the bond between yam yam carolyn carson like they're just having a good time out there and it's great to see um I would also say Carolyn's stock is rising. I just think every episode that goes by where people are not talking about voting out Carolyn, early on in Survivor, there's often a phenomenon where it just feels like the odd one out gets voted out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're almost at the point where Carolyn has endured past that initial period. I agree. And she's pretty locked in. So yeah, I think Carolyn's sitting, sitting pretty. Matthew, obviously, we have to mention, sitting pretty good. He knows where the fake idol is. He has his own idol. Maybe he's sticking his neck out a little too far and being a little bit too vocal, but for now, I think he's in a pretty good spot. Agree. Whose stock is going down as a function of this week's episode for you? Uh, Unfortunately, I think it's Jamie. Like, I don't... I just don't see her coming out on top of this plant lady, plant daddy partnership. I think she's in a really vulnerable position right now, and... I just don't know if she can hack it. Um, And I would say Lauren, they never seem to have warm, (laughs) warm interactions with her. But I also think that's the survivor bias coming through. So, yeah, yeah, I believe it. I I also think that Sarah's stock is probably going down. Um, Sarah, I think, is not... it's not seeming that Sarah is ready to get past the bitter feelings of being Mm -hmm. on the wrong side of the numbers and the sort of kumbaya vibe of the tribe is not really reaching her. I don't really believe that she'll be able to get in a headspace before some kind of tribe shakeup to change the narrative of the numbers in her tribe. I think it's pretty clear. Like if I had to put money on the most likely person to go in any tribe after a challenge loss, it would be Sarah. hundred percent. Yep. All right, folks. Well, that's pretty much it from us. Before we go, Kayla, overall thoughts on this episode? Strong top half. And I think the bottom half didn't 
live up to expectations. <laughs> exactly right. Like the the pre-tribal and tribal honestly could not have been. It, w- it was a little bit of a snooze fest in sharp contrast to basically everything else this season, I will say. It was sort of typical of Survivor in a lot of ways, but compared to strong stuff that we've seen so far, um, wasn't the most compelling. But still, I mean, there's idols and fake idols, so I think we're set up for a lot of interesting and intricate drama down the line. Well, that's all we got, folks. Uh, tune in next week. Uh, feel free to give us a shout online at our Gmail, outwit outplay outpod at gmail.com appreciate those of you who have already written in don't forget to leave us five stars on spotify and apple Podcasts. can i say that you can absolutely plug us that's like when you're a real podcast is when you start telling people to review you feel free folks uh, appreciate you tuning in as always survivor nation the tribe has spoken and so have we 